All right. Hey, in your worship guides, there's some uh, sermon notes. Go ahead and pull those out with the Rock Church pen. It just helps you get kind of following along uh, where we're heading to. Uh, Like the video said, uh, we're in part two of our How to Neighbor series. Last week, we had a very big talk about reconciling racism. Um, And it uh, uh, it was a heavy sermon, but it was a great sermon. And we just talked about how we were supposed to be more like the Good Samaritan and help those who maybe they look different from us, a different economic class, no matter uh, if they live in a big house or small house or they're poor or they're wealthy or if they're black or white, it doesn't matter, uh, that we're all God's children. And in fact, we talked about in the book of Revelation that it says that every tongue, every tribe and nation were there shouting, uh, just praise God, praise God. And so we talked about that. Uh, But today, we're going to be talking about something uh, a little bit different as we're going to talk about embracing orphans. In the world we live right now, uh, we have people who have children uh, really just for uh, on different seasons and different things and different uh, reasons. But a lot of children today, uh, in fact, if you Google it, about 400,000 children are considered orphans. 400,000 children in our state, in our U.S., United States, uh, are considered orphans. And I was kind of thinking, like, why is there so many orphans in, our, uh, in the world? But really, why is there so many orphans in our country? Uh, and there's a whole plethora of, of reasons why there's so many orphans. And I just want to kind of share a little bit with you some of the reasons uh, that, uh, that we have so many orphans. Today, uh, people have children without the maturity to take care of them. That's the biggest one. People have children without the maturity to take care of them. I heard a pastor say it this way, uh, just because a guy can get a girl pregnant does not mean he's ready to be a dad. True? I would say so. Uh, just because a girl has the ability to have a child does not mean that they're ready to, to be a mom. There are situations that a child experiences a tragedy and maybe loses both parents. There are situations where parents get hooked on drugs and their children are taken away for their own safety and place in the system. Uh, there are so many more situations, and the result is that the, the child or the children involved are taken out of their homes and put into a foster care system. And because of that, the current statistic right now of the orphans in the U.S. are 400,000 children. 400,000 children in America that is in need of a home and a loving family. 400,000 children who do not have a a parental figure and wondering if they'll ever have a family or how long do they have to stay here in this foster home until they move to the next one. Um, Just 400,000 children. It just blows my mind how many orphans there are in our country. But here's the good news. You're maybe asking Vaughn, like, why is there there good news to this? Uh, Here's the good news. There are way more Christians in the world than there are orphans. Amen? Okay, let me explain it because you're wondering, like, should I say amen to that? Should I, like, do we need to? There are way more Christians in the world than there are orphans. Let me explain why that is good news because I believe 100% that God's plan for, for doing good in this world, in our country, is through his church. Amen? That's God's plan. The church is, is plan A. You see, I think a lot of times we, we kind of rely on the government, we rely on this and that, that system and that uh, policy, but really God's plan for making his plan flourish in our area, in our community, in North Platte, is his church. The church is God's plan A. And that means God's plan for the 400,000 orphans in the system right now in our country, his plan to help them is through the church. 
His plan to help them is through the church. Well, Vaughn, that, I mean, that's why we have the foster care system. The foster care system is supposed to take care of them. Uh, I would argue that. I would argue that with this verse in James 1.27. It's on the screen. Check this out. It says this. Religion, you can replace that with faith. Faith that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this. To visit who? To visit who, church? To visit orphans and widows in their reflection and to keep oneself unstained from the world. James is saying the purest form of our faith that pleases God is to really, it's simple, to visit orphans during their hard times. Doesn't sound complicated, does it? That's what I love about our faith. You see, I think a lot of times us Christians, especially in our Western culture, we try to complicate faith. We try to make it if you do step one, two, and three and meet subpoints A, B, and C, uh, then you can please God. But it says right here that faith that pleases God in its purest form is to take care of the orphans, take care of the widows, and keep yourself from the sins of this world. And I just want to focus on the first part today. We'll get to the rest part through this rest of the series. But to visit orphans. To visit those who are in the foster care system, to take those who to take care of those who, who don't have a parent or a loving family. And he isn't just talking about just having a conversation with them or taking them out for ice cream or whatever it may be. But what he's saying is that if you see a child that has no home or a loving person in their life, if you call yourself a Christ follower, that is your responsibility. That's your responsibility. And this is why when you open your arms, I believe this, when you open your arms for a child to come into your life, I would argue that is the closest you can be in reflecting God's heart. When you open your arms for another child who doesn't have a mom or a dad or have a home or, or maybe they're not taken care of, they're neglected or they're, or they're abused, whatever it may be. But if you see a need in a child's life, if you meet that need and you welcome them into your life, that is the closest you can be to God's heart. Why? Because what did Jesus do when the children came running to him? When the disciple says, no, 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 Jesus is a little bit busy right now. He's doing adult things. He's, he's got a full schedule. Go back to your mom and dad. I don't know where they are. They should be taking care of you. You shouldn't be over here by the sea. I don't know where they're at. But what did Jesus say? He says, no, let the children come to me. Let the children come come to me. And so today, I don't have a lot of points. I just have two points, one at the beginning, one at the end. And point one is this. Caring for those in need is closest to God's heart. Write that down. Caring for those in need is closest to God's heart. I want to say that one time. When you open your arms for a child to come in, it is the closest you can be in reflecting God's heart. Why? Because this is exactly what God did with us. This is exactly what God did with us. We weren't part of God's family before we knew him, right? But when we come running to Jesus, when we come running to God the Father, and we say, Lord, would you rescue me? Would you be my father? What did God do? He adopted you. He brought you in. He grafted you into the vine. That's the biblical saying. But that's exactly what God did with you. Caring for those in need is priority in God's heart, and the majority of those in need, believe it or not, are children. Those who are in need are more likely to be children. Some of the most needy, some of the most who, who are needing help in this world are children. Why? Because children are the most vulnerable. Children are the most vulnerable. 
answer this question. Who pays the highest price for these situations? Gang violence, broken families, fatherlessness, divorce, poverty, substance abuse, domestic abuse, racism, teenage pregnancy, incarceration. Who pays the highest for these situations? The children. The children pay the highest for these situations. The children, they are the ones really who did not cause these problems and they do not have the ability to solve them. But for some reason, they are the ones who take the brunt of it. The children are. And too many times we hear about this, but we have become so numb to the tragedies of this world, and we turn a blind eye to this situation. But I would guarantee that if I would show some pictures of a few children who were here locally and maybe told you, told you their name and let you know that his or her parents were unfit due to like a meth addiction or, or little Bobby has no home and now he lives in a foster care system and he doesn't know where his mom and dad are because that, that's usually the typical case. They don't know what's happening. If I would give you a, a face, a picture, a name, and a story, I guarantee you there'd be people in this room saying, how can I help, right? How can I help? How can I help little Bobby to make him feel better? How can I help little Susie to make sure she's not scared, to make sure that she has a loving hope? But for some reason, for some reason, when we just think about 400,000, we forget that each one of them has a name and has a face and has a story. We live in such a broken world And the children pay the price for it. Each of the 400,000 kids that are in need of a home right now, each have a name and a story. Caring for those in need is closest you can be to reflect God's heart. Perhaps, maybe this is why the author of Psalms 82 says this. Check it out. It says, give justice to the weak and to the what? Fatherless. Those who don't have a dad. Maintain the right of the afflicted and the destitute. This is what we're going to talk about next week, but it says in verse 4, Rescue the weak and the needy. Deliver them from the hand of the wicked. And I would bet that we would all agree with this, that for the most part, we are decent human beings, and we, when we see someone in help, we rush in and see what we can do. In fact, there was a, I was, when I was writing this, I had a story pop in my head. My mom is an animal lover. How many of you guys are animal lovers or like your parents are? Like, beyond, like, there might be a day where she loves the animal more than her own children. That's my household. And so, um, but so that happened. But I remember when I was a, a little kid, I was like in fifth grade, uh, and we lived in kind of the uh, north side of tracks up in Montana, and we had all these alley cats just everywhere. I thought they were so annoying, hated mowing the lawn, didn't know I was going to step in, and just, just hated it. But these alley cats would have kittens, and my mom's heart would just melt. She's like, who are going to help these kittens out? These are foster kittens. They need a good mom and a good dad and a good caretaker. And so she's teaching us, us five children, as the young oldest, I'm thinking like, okay, all right, mom, so what do we do? So she says, so here's the game plan. Um, our kittens come in at night into our, our carport to seek shelter. And so if you have this cardboard box and I have this fishing net, uh, maybe we can chase them in a corner and we can trap these kittens and then we can go, you know, give them to a, 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 you know, the, the pet shelter or find a good home for them. And, and so we're out there and it, it was probably looking ridiculous because it was like midnight and you see these flashes in our carports, flashlights going crazy and you hear my mom saying, get the kitten, get the kitten, get the kitten and she's waving this big old net looking thing, looks like she's about to beat me and but she's not, she's trying to catch this cute kitten and I had this big old cardboard box that was twice the size of me and my job was to, to pounce on the cat, to trap it in there and we would rescue these kittens and I just remember that whole dilemma our mission was to rescue the kittens 
Rescue the kittens. Make sure you rescue the kittens. While I failed a few times, I finally caught this kitten, this cute little adorable black and white kitten that we named him Bob for some reason. But uh, we kept him, uh, and we kept so many animals growing up from that situation that was really close to that, that we just adopted the, all these kittens and dogs and all these different animals. And, but I just remember that one time, it was just save the kittens, save the kittens. That was our mission. Why? Because kittens are cute. They're adorable. They're defenseless. And we have the obligation to save them. And we have people in the world that their mission is to, to save the whales, save the whales, save the whales. Why? Because whales are cute. And they're defenseless. And it's our job to save them. Save the storks, save the spotted gophers, save the ecosystem, save the rainforest. I mean, we have commercials with sad songs and pictures of cats and dogs looking so sad in their cages, and our hearts break, and we fight for the animal injustice. And why? Because they're cute. And they're defenseless. And it's our job to save them. And millions of people go out of their way to adopt and take care of animals. But I have to ask, what about the mission that God gave us? What about that mission? What about the mission of save the children? That pure, undefiled religion is to take care of the orphans. Save the children. That's God's mission. What happened to that? The mission of save the children. Where is that mission? Even Christians, I have to challenge us on this issue, especially for those who maybe consider themselves as pro-life, because here's the thing with, with pro-life that, that, that really gets me. Pro-life does not stop once the baby is born. So many times they get on that hitch and like, the baby's got to be born, the baby's got to be born, save the children. But as soon as that happens, we move on to the next one. What if that baby is born to parents that are unfit to be their parents? They're stuck in a foster care system. And they have a lifetime of uncertainty and abuse. You see, being pro-life is much more than a political thing. It's a biblical thing. We're called to take care of the children. Save the children. Because God's plan A is his church. And that means you. There's a family that does this so well. Her name is Amy Cousins, and I've had the privilege of knowing her through the last couple of years, and her daughter and family attend our church, but you're going to throw that picture of Amy up there. I've got a picture of her. Uh, Amy Cousins is the gal in the middle holding the little guy that kind of looks like me when I was a baby, um, and the little red t-shirt, but that's Amy right there, Amy Cousins, uh, and she lives this out through and through. Well, Amy opened her home to foster children, those children who need a loving family, and the, the picture of them is their current uh, children, but I got to talk with her and message her over Facebook and got to a little bit uh, know her story, but Amy has been doing this for 24 years, and check this out, has had over 78 children come through her homes. 78. I think having two toddlers is hard enough. 78 children come through her homes. Each one loved with the same love she had for her own. And then here's the thing. I asked her, because like, we think, like, oh, well, that can't be hard. Look, and they're cute, and they're cuddly. And uh, I don't know about Lacey. Lacey's over here. <laughs> yeah, she's like, whatever. She's just forget me. But, I mean, I, you look at that, you're like, oh, that looks like a good family, good, perfect family. Like, of course, they look good, good-behaved children. Let me tell you, she takes in children from all walks of life, 
all walks of life, from preemie babies where the parents have just left them in the hospital, they want nothing to do with them, to those where it's the teenage girl and she had a baby herself and needed a mother figure to help her take care of her child. She took them from all walks of life. And right now she has three of her own children, six children who she has adopted and one kiddo that she is fostering. And I asked her, I'm like, why do you do this? Like, why do you go out of your way and forsake your comfortability for all these 78 children that have came through your home? And she gave such a simple response. She said this, she says, when I was nine years old, I had a friend of mine and their family did foster care and it is such an impression on me that I knew I would someday foster as well. Check this next part out. I began fostering when I was 23 years old. 23 years old. You know what I was doing at 23? Not fostering, not caring about myself, not caring about other people, just doing what I wanted to do. I was selfish at 23 years old. You know what she did at 23? The complete opposite. She began fostering I began fostering when I was 23 years old, and I've always known that this is what God has called me to do. She saw someone else do it, and she decided to do the same thing at 23 years old. And she reflects the heart of God so well in taking care of those who do not have a home. And I want to share just a little story of my own life that kind of is very similar to, to this. You see, I grew up, and I come from a split home. My mom and dad got divorced when I was very, very young. My parents split when I was younger, and my father didn't get custody of me and my little brother until a few years later in life. And so my little brother was left with me and my mom. And for most situations, you think that'd work out, but my mom was very abusive, and it was not a very pleasant place to live in at a young age. And so uh, without going into details, we endured some of the most terrible years with physical abuse from my biological mother, and the court finally made the decision to give my brother and I to my dad, who was married to my stepmom. And from that time, I, from that time until I graduated high school, I was with my dad and my stepmom. But I want to talk about my stepmom for a little bit. You see, my stepmom, whose name is Lori, did her best to raise me and my brother with the other three children as if we were her own children. She was our stepmom, and she did an awesome job. She treated us no different than our other siblings, even when we threw the whole tantrum of, you're not my real mom. Let me tell you, we threw those out like nothing else. And I can tell you there's probably some nights, there probably was, there was nights where she would just cry and weep over the insults that we would throw at her. But the next day, she woke up with a smile on her face, and she loved us like her own children. Probably the best stepmom you could ever have. And she stepped in the role of being my mom for me and my brother, and it meant so much to me because my biological mother, she stepped outside, and we never saw her or had contact with her just a few years ago. But my stepmom came in and gave me the mother figure I needed, and there was a day when I turned 18, I wanted to make it official of her being my mom. And so I let her adopt me. And then when my brother turned 18, we let, he let her adopt him. And the reason I want to talk about that is because of this. There is nothing more godly than you can do than opening your arms for another child to come into your life and love them like your own. Loving them with the love that God first showed you. Well, Vaughn, I, I can't handle the hurt of bringing a kid in my life and then letting them go. I'll respond it this way. Let me say it this way. If it doesn't hurt, you're doing it wrong. 
If it doesn't hurt, you're doing it. When it comes to loving kids and it's time for them to step away, if it hurts like a son of a gun, then you know that you loved them right. So why do we do this? Because this is what God does with us all the time. He steps out of his comfort, his perfect place, and he says, yeah, I'll let you be in my family. The author of Psalm 68 was answering the question of who is God, and this is what he had to say. This is what he says God is, and it's so powerful. Psalm 68, 5 through 6. It says this, Father to the fatherless. This is God. God is the father to the fatherless. Defender of widows. This is God whose dwelling is holy. God places, check this out, God places the lonely where? In families. In families. Meaning that if there's someone lonely, say there's a kid and he's saying, God, would you give me a, a loving mentor in my life? Would you give me a loving dad, a loving mom? Would you allow me to be placed in a, in a loving family because I don't have one? God does hear their prayers. And it says right here that he sets a plan in place where he's going to pick a family for them. It's a promise right here in Psalms. God is the father to those who don't have a father. He defends the widows. That's who God is. God places the lonely in families. Let me ask you this question. What if God wants to use your family? What if God wants to use your family? This can get a little uncomfortable to think about because we have so much to do, right? We think we have already busy schedules in our lives. We definitely don't have time to think about adding another child in the mix. We have places to go and people to see. And maybe for some of us, we're thinking, well, I'm not exactly called to, to adopt or foster. And I would say the majority of you are right. You're not called to adopt or foster. And some of you, I would tell you, don't do it for the sake of the child. Just kidding. Just kidding. Kind of. We'll see. But not all of us are called to adopt a kid. Not all of us are called to foster. But before you just say no and close your hearts, I would encourage you just to pray and ask God what he'd have you to do. Ask God what he would have you to do. Ask God if he's going to use you in such an instrumental way in another child's life. And I said before, and I'll say it again, you may never be more like God when you embrace another child. Allow them to come into your life, because that's exactly what he did with us. There was a time that I was a spiritual orphan, and I heard the good news of the Father that told me that I could come into him with the current condition, mess and all. And scripture says that he promises to never leave us or forsake us. Even if I screwed up every now and then, he would still love me and he would still forgive me. In that moment, I made that decision to come into a relationship with him. Do you know what happened? An adoption happened. I was in God's family. I wasn't a spiritual orphan anymore. Paul wrote in the book of Ephesians about God bringing us into his family. Look what he says. Ephesians 1.5, it says this. God decided in advance in advance to adopt us in his own family, bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. This is what he wanted to do, and it gave him great pleasure. He enjoyed bringing you into his family. He enjoyed adopting you, messing all. He enjoyed calling you his own child. That's how much God loves you. This is what God did with all of us. He decided in advance to say yes in adopting each and every one of us, not because he had to, 
but because this is what he wanted to do. And it actually brought him joy in doing it. And I know, again, most of us are not called to adopt or foster, and that's okay. But I know without a doubt that we, church, we, each and every one of us here, not just me as the pastor, not just us as the Rock Church, but each Christian here, you are God's plan A in rescuing children. You are God's plan A to step in and to love on those who do not have a father or a mother. And I know we can't do everything. I know we can't do everything. It's impossible. But I do believe this. This is the second point. Not all of us can do everything. But we can all do something if the team wants to come up. What's going on? Let's go back to here. It's okay. <laughs> Not all of us can do everything, but we can all do something. We can't do everything, but we can all do something. There's something that I want to show you what you and I can do in our part in helping the children, to loving on the children and being there for them, no matter how young or how old you are. You have something to do. Let me end with this story here. I came to realize when I was a youth pastor in Scotts Bluff for a few years, I had a group of about 35 junior hires. It's a ministry in itself, dealing with really young kids like that and all their hormones and all that stuff. It was a crazy, crazy ride, but I loved that job. And at the end, I believe God wanted to show me how many kids in my group who didn't have a whole house, meaning that they're just living with a father or a mother, not with both parental figures. And so I asked them to close their eyes. And I simply said that if you come from a house that your mom and dad are divorced and you live with one parent, raise your hands. And I was thinking just a few would pop up. But to my surprise, over 70% of my youth group raised their hands. 70%. 70%. There are so many children who don't have a mom or dad. And as they raised their hands, suddenly I saw them through a different lens. The boy that was causing issues, causing me problems, being disruptive, and I thought he was just being rude, was now the kid who didn't have a dad and was angry for his dad leaving him and didn't know how to handle the grief. The girl that came in and pushed herself on boys and dressed maybe a little promiscuous and I felt like she wasn't hearing my voice and I said, you need to cover up a little bit, was now a young girl who didn't have a mom to love on her. And God spoke something that was so profound during that time. Because I saw their hands raised. God said so clearly to me, he says, they're yours now. They're yours. It's your responsibility to take care of these children. And on that day, I began not to be so much as a youth pastor, but I changed my role to more of a big brother. To love on them, and hung out with them. And to this day, most of them are already graduated and off into college, but some are still in high school. They still come up to Jill and I and give us a hug, and we just know about how tight the squeeze the hug is that we know we did our part in their life because we know we can't do everything, church, but we can all do something. We can all do something. There was even one girl uh, a couple of years ago that she's still in high school, and we loved on her since she was in grade school. And I adopted her as kind of my little sister. And throughout the years, when I came to North Platte, we didn't communicate much. We kind of lost contact. But this last year, she started dating. 
And out of the blue, called me up and gave me the name of her potential boyfriend and asked me, what do you think about him? For those of you who know, that's a lot for a junior high girl to ask. But why? We had a relationship. We know we couldn't do everything, but we could do something. And it just shows when you open yourself up and ask God to use you to help rescue the children around us, God will use you in incredible ways in that child's life. So again, don't take this sermon today as like everyone's called to foster and adopt because that's not what I'm getting to. There's, I believe there's few special people who are called to do that like Amy Cousins. But all of us can do something in a child's life. And it may not seem like a whole lot at first. I mean, after all, if you make a difference in the life of a child, you're not going to change the whole world. You're not. That's just kind of the reality of things. But you will change his or her world. And that's what matters. So ask yourself, God, how do you want me to use, how do you want to use me to rescue children? Because after all, you rescued me. You loved on me. So I just want to pray, and we're going to wrap up going back into Good Good Father. If you guys would stand with me. If you can bow your heads, close your eyes. That day when you accepted Jesus Christ into your life, he adopted you. He took you in. He didn't have to, but he wanted to. And actually, we just read that he chose in advance to do that, and it brought him joy. So I want to ask you, is there a child that you know that are kind of hanging out in your peripheral vision? You really didn't notice much, but you know they don't have, you know, a loving mom, a loving dad, or a big brother or a big sister. Or maybe they live in a broken home and they just don't have that godly love that they need. Do you know a child like that? And if you do, I want to go ahead and commission this. I believe God is, is saying this. They're your responsibility now. Go out and love them. Go out and be with them. Because I can tell you, when you have people like that, people like Amy Cousins, you change lives. People like my stepmom, who's now my, who's now my adoptive mother, changed my life, changed my brother's life. Maybe God's calling you in that direction. But this morning, whatever it may be, as you leave, know this. God adopted you. The good, good father adopted you. So I want to go back in the song. If you need prayer, I'll be right down here in the front, and I will pray with you. But can we go back and sing this, and we'll dismiss after hearing a bit. Let's go ahead and go into the song. Good, good father. <laughs>